meeting today's challenges with yesterday's experiences. Senior wisdom is your opportunity to take in wisdom gained by our elderly population and apply this insight to your own life. It's a time machine of sorts, sending you back to challenges of pre-millennia days and places that stretch across the globe. Chuck Jacobs had an uncle, Uncle Bud, who was bigger than life. When Chuck was three to four years old, Uncle Bud took Chuck to his first fire. This was the beginning of Chuck's lifetime passion to serve in the fire service. At 16 years old, Chuck was sworn in on June 6, 1967 as a new member of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Chuck's experiences in emergency response introduced him to many people. He told me that relationships that started in the fire service last a lifetime. Chuck equates the first service to the Marine Corps. You trust every firefighter around you is watching your back and you do the same thing for them. As years of service stacked up, Chuck recognized that his motto on life focused on three things. Help people, make a difference, and do the right thing. He realized that achieving this was not accomplished by doing big things. It was solving many small problems and issues that add up to make a real difference. These traits will also serve each of us when the unexpected and uncontrollable circumstances occur in our futures. Senior Wisdom is ready to share another golden nugget. So adjust the volume on your laptop or handheld device and soak into a conversation with Chuck Jacobs. Today I'm sitting with Charlie Jacobs, who actually is a retired fire department. You're a fire captain. Fire right? captain. And Charlie, I have a lot of friends who are in the fire department or have been in the fire department. And, and it's funny because everybody has a somewhat of a similar reason why they got into it what got you interested in in the fire service i mean you're here in grass valley california small little mountain town up here probably grown quite a bit since you were first born in the in the 40s i suppose something like that 1950 oh 19 right on the cusp there 1950 so um what did you see in your early life that uh, drew you towards becoming a fireman well i think the first fire that i remember was a fire down off of Bennett Street that burned the old Nevada County Narrow Gauge Railroad down. It happened in the middle of the night, and I remember there was quite a bit of commotion, there were fire sirens, and in those days we had an air horn that went off anytime there was an alarm box pull. We had a Gamewell alarm box system throughout the city, which my uncle had installed, and it improved. Uh, How my, old were you at that time? About three years old. Oh. And I remember coming out to the bay window that we had. I've remodeled this house since then, but there used to be a window that looked out to the south and looked directly down on top of the fire. And of course, the vegetation wasn't as tall and as, as uh, voluminous as it is today. And I was able to see flame and I could see water streams. This was really exciting. And I was only three years old, but it made quite an impression. And I remember my mom saying, well, your Uncle Bud is down there. My uncle was Doc Lobecker, but family, we didn't call him Doc, we called him Bud. That was the family name. She said, Bud's down there at that fire, I just know it. Well, the next morning, we got all into the car and drove down, and sure enough, Bud was out there, he'd been out there all night long, and he was dragging hoses across Bennett Street. And I remember my mom and dad talked to him just briefly, but they were kind of busy, they were kind of looky-loos, had 
you know, the people I used to have to deal with when I was a professional firefighter, you always got looky-loos. Well, it, it was kind of an inherited thing, I guess. <laughs> but my uncle was instrumental in my wanting to go to fires. I remember the first fire he ever took me to. Came in on a Sunday. He would stop by our, our house on Sundays. He would visit various family members, and a lot of times on Sunday he would come up here, and it just, it was coincidental or anything else. He'd come up here, and the honker would go off, that big horn I was telling about. We always yep. call it the honker. And an alarm would come in, he'd go, come on, Chucky, you want to go? His name for me was Chucky. He was the only one that ever called me that. Come on, <laughs> Chucky, you want to go? And so we'd jump in the car and go down, and there was a fire down near Hennessy School in a, a two-story old Victorian house. I stayed in the car, and I watched him. He opened the trunk. He got out climbing spurs. He was a PG&E employee. He did gas and electric in those days. And he always carried a spare set of climbing gear in the back of the car. And his job when he got to the fire, because he was a Grass Valley volunteer firefighter, he would climb the pole and he would de-energize the entire fire ground. He would cut the power off so it was safe for those firefighters. When you're using water and electricity, you've got quite a, oh, yeah. a nasty oh, yeah. mix. I mean, the fire's bad enough, but you mix electric and, and, and water together and you could really, really harm somebody. So that was the first time, and I was probably four or five years old when that happened. So your uncle at that time, he must have been in his 20s or 30s. No, was he was probably uh, late 30s. Uh, yeah, late 30s. He died in 1964. May 17, 1964, he was on a fire on Mill Street. There was an old Victorian home that the Salvation Army had taken over, and it was full of clothing in it. Caught fire somehow. I never heard what the cause was, but it burned. He responded down there, and he sat in the squad truck, which was brand, well, it wasn't brand new. It was four or five years old, and it had radio communications, and he was able to call the other fire districts around here and have them respond into town and take any new calls, and he would be doing the dispatching from the parking lot. Well, while he was in that vehicle, he started suffering from chest pains. Oh. Champ Williams, who had a known heart condition, came by and saw him laying in the front seat and said, Doc, are you okay? And he goes, ah, yeah, just a little gas. He goes, gas, no way. He says, I'm calling for an ambulance. So they called for Twin Cities Ambulance to show up, and Gene Blake showed up with the ambulance. And about that same time, Ed Tellum was overcome with smoke. He also had some sort of a heart condition, and they took him to the hospital, and they took my uncle to the hospital. And 20 minutes after my uncle got there, of course, when he first got there, he knew everybody in town. Everybody knew Doc. Everybody knew Doc. When he got there, they said, come on, we got to put you in a wheelchair. I don't need a wheelchair. No, you're going in a wheelchair. That's protocol. <laughs> they got him in a wheelchair, slipped him into the emergency room. Dr. Labby was there. Joseph Labby was the best surgeon we had in Nevada County, and probably the best doctor in Nevada County at the time. He was really up on, on the newest of medicines. And 20 minutes later, uh, my uncle was dead. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, he sounds like someone who was highly inspirational for you. He was a mentor oh, in your life. Absolutely, he was my mentor. And when I was 16, there was a fire off of Eureka Street near Harris Street, a grass fire. And the CDF responded into town, mutual aid with Grass Valley Fire Department. And two fire engines showed up out of Nevada City Station. A guy by the name of Lowell Polly, who just passed away last year, and Dick Caddy, who went to school with my older sister and we lived here in the same neighborhood. 
were on two separate fire engines. Well, Caddy was a, a what they called in those days a fire truck driver, an FTD, and Lowell was the foreman one. And they've now changed those names. Foreman one is now a captain, FTD is fire apparatus engineer. They were down there. I went down to see what all the excitement was. I got down there and Dick said, hey, how you doing? Well, he was also on the fire department with my uncle here in Grass Valley. And he's got all these young guys out there fighting fire. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. What, what, what is this? I didn't know what CDF was. Oh. Uh, and he said, well, this is the CDF. He says, how old are you now? I said, 16. He said, when are you going to be 17? I said, in February. When you turn 17, he says, you come up to Nevada City Station and you put an application and maybe you can come out and do this too. Oh, that's all it took. That's all it took. I'm thinking, oh, brother, my uncle's going to, you know, he'll be so proud of me. I'm out fighting fire now, too. And that's how it all came about. So on June 6, 1967, I started work with CDF. I was on the front porch of the station up there at about 7.30. Report time was 8 o'clock. The office wasn't open. Had to do the final paperwork. And about five minutes after I arrived, maybe 10 minutes, another guy showed up that I'd never seen before. We introduced one another. And his name is Dan Collins. We both retired as CDF fire captains. But when Dan was standing out there, and after we'd made the introductions, he goes, oh, doggone. He was exasperated about something. Like, what is it? He goes, I didn't bring a towel. I got all this stuff packed for a week, and I didn't bring a towel. I said, just a minute. I had three of them. I said, here, <laughs> you can borrow a towel from me. We've been best buddies ever since. We still have contact via email. I see him at different events and whatnot. He's a great guy. Wow, you guys then developed quite a bond. I mean, yes. not just with this fellow, but probably with, yeah. with all firemen. When exactly. When you're fighting together. The you fire really... service is kind of like the Marine Corps. You yeah. trust everybody to be watching your back, and you watch their back. Yeah. Yeah. And so how many years did you do this? <laughs> well, uh, permanent time with CDF. I had 42 years with CDF. Okay. Plus, I was crash crew in the Navy for four years. But if you go all the way back to when I first went to a fire when I was about four years old, uh, 55 years in the fire service. And a number of people ask me, why don't you do some retired annuitant work or come back as a consultant? Sorry, I'm done. You know, I didn't retire to go back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you're still available, I think, to inspire oh, others to do well, this. Well, you know, the, the, the whole thing is I never was there for the type of uniform or the color of the fire apparatus or, or the, the significance of what rank I had or anything. I wanted to do three things. It's most important in my life, and I still do that, and it applies both in work life as well as civilian life. It sounds like a little wisdom coming on here. What, what was it that you uh, were after? I believe in helping people, making a difference, and doing the right thing. There's no money involved in any of that. Money is one of those things you have to have. You've got to be able to buy food, pay for your mortgage, you know, put fuel in your vehicle, pay your doctor when you have to go see your doctor. But... You know, they're doing the same kinds of things. They just don't realize it. They're there to help people make a difference and do the right thing. And that's the bottom line. You know? And do you think that was something that you actually saw maybe without the words being spoken by your, your uncle? Oh, absolutely. My uncle was a volunteer firefighter. I later joined the Grass Valley Volunteer Fire Department too. And this is many, many years later. It was 1976 I joined the fire department when I moved back to Grass Valley from Wairika. And the fire chief at the time was Tom Berry. Tom Berry and my uncle were next-door neighbors. And Tom Berry, his life was saved by my uncle one night. The alarm came in. 
That afternoon, he and my uncle were out in their backyard and he just put up a brand new clothesline. Tom comes running out the door, totally forgot about the clothesline and hooked himself on that clothesline, knocked him out. My uncle looked up, saw him up there, went up and stayed with him until he recovered. They were the absolute best friends. He had a lot of absolute best friends. But when he was fire chief, I was told to come to a meeting at Protection Engine Company Number 1 in the Grass Valley Volunteer Fire Department that they would put my name on a waiting list. This is what I'd been told all along, going through the various processes. I, I made application in paper form. Then I was brought before the Board of Fire Delegates for an interview. Then I was brought for the company for an interview. Then I was told to come into the company so that my name would be put on a roster, a waiting list roster, which this is the protocol they always used. The night I got here to put my name on a waiting list, they called me up front and I just figured this was part of the process. Tom Berry says, raise your right hand and put your oh, left hand oh, over God. your heart. And they swore me in right, right there. there. Wow. And he says, you are, congratulations, you are now a member of the Grass Valley Volunteer Fire Department. Yeah. And in recognition of such, I want you to have this. He reaches over and there was a dress cap. Well, this was pretty neat. A lot of guys didn't get dress caps. He handed it to me and he said, with tears in his eyes, yeah. he said, I want you to have this. This was your uncle's hat. And he gave that to and you. And he gave it to me. And he says, look inside the interior hat band. Just pull it down. And I did. And sure enough, there was my uncle's name, name, Doc Lobecker, in his handwriting. I still got this hat. Wow. See, How did you feel when you were given it? You must oh, have oh, I was, get I was, choked. You get I choked was emotional. I oh, was yeah. overcome with, with pride. And I was just so glad to be a part of the Grass Valley Volunteer Fire Department and to be in his company. There were three companies at the time, Protection, Eagle, and Reliance. Yeah. Protection is company number one. And that was his company. And to have Tom Berry swear me in, it, it just, it was overwhelming. Well, that's symbolic of you stepping into his footsteps. So yeah. apply, let's apply this to today. We have, we have a lot of people living in this world as compared to years past when you were younger. And uh, many of those people haven't even visited with uh, uh, having some sort of civic responsibility. Mm -hmm. you know, there aren't, not everybody's a fireman. That's true. Not everybody's entered the service. But you, you know? don't have to be the first responder to help people. We just had an event take place here in Grass Valley oh, two weeks ago, the Donation Day Parade put on by the Ladies Relief Society. They've been around since 1883. And in 1884, they had their very first Donation Day Parade. My grandmother, Mabel Lobecker, Doc's mom, marched in that very first parade. My mother marched in parades. My sisters and I marched in parades. My cousins. But I took it one step further. All of my kids, every one of them, had marched in a parade, and this year, my grandchildren, two of my grandchildren came up, marched in a parade, and John Hart from the Grass Valley Union took pictures, put it on the webpage for us, showing the third, fourth, and fifth generation oh. marchers. We're yeah. the only family that I'm aware of that goes all the way back to the very first parade and has successive generations marching in that parade. So, that parade is de designed to help people that can't otherwise help themselves. Most of the people that get food boxes and toys and whatnot are not on public assistance. It's kind of like it was 100 years ago. Before we started this interview, we talked about 
There were social organizations that took care of people. We had groups like the Salvation Army. There were a lot of civic uh, organizations involved, like the churches and the Odd Fellows and the Masons. Those people took care of people. And somehow society has slipped away and all of a sudden it's government needs to take care of people. We don't necessarily need to have that. We saw that during the government shutdown. How much did that really affect us as individuals? It really didn't. The politicians made a big hoopla out of it. But when it came right down to brass tacks, we were still taking care of one another. So Making really it's, it's an awareness of life, what's going on within yeah. your community. Situational and engaging awareness. in that. Yeah, situational awareness, which is one of the things you have to do every time you're on a fire. If, if you don't know what the situation is around you, you're not aware, you're probably going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have your head on a swivel and know what's going on. Be aware of your surroundings and what's taking place. And the same thing can apply here in life, you know. So those that are listening might maybe start being more curious. I mean, as far as the, oh, yeah. the go-to stuff that someone might want to engage in to make these changes that you're talking about, if they can be more inquisitive about stuff around them, what's going on, more curious, sure. then There's a they're going to be aware can, of life. There's so many things you can do to help. Yeah. You know, how many times have you taken your car to the car wash and put $5 in to clean your car and then drive down the street and two minutes later, you see a bunch of teenagers or Cub Scouts or Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts doing a car wash for $5. You could have given it to them. They would have had something in their coffers to go and do other good things rather than just the commercial establishment. Yeah. Yeah. So even though even the small things are big things. It's doing the right thing. Doing yeah. The, the right small thing. things, you know, no, nothing in life, especially when it comes to problems, there is there are very few few big problems. It's usually an accumulation of a lot of small problems that make a festering big problem. But if you break it down, it's, it's the little things that really make the difference. Well, Charlie, you have provided us with quite a bit of senior wisdom today, so, so I thank you for that. <laughs> it's because I'm a senior now. <laughs> there you go. Congratulations. Thank you. I'll see you.